Welcome to Proven Improbable, where we focus on metals, mining, and more. I'm your host, Maurice Jackson. Today, we will address why citizens, not just investors, need to own physical precious metals, as banks, the world of academia, and television have perniciously tricked us into calling currency money. Today, we will reset your hard drive and remove this virus, and most important, we will share what actions you, the investor, need to take. Joining us for this very important discussion is JS Mindset's Bill Holter. Thank you for joining us today, sir. Thanks for having Maurice. Mr. Holter, you're one of the most respected names in the natural resource space. For first-time listeners, please share your background. Uh, I was a uh, retail broker for 23 years, uh, the last 12 years I was a branch manager, uh, retired in late 2006, uh, moved with my family to Costa Rica. We were there for about five years. The, the timing, if you think about it, uh, I mean, I saw 2007, 2008 come in and we wanted to get out. When I realized uh, the collapse came but was dealt with by blowing up balance sheets our Spanish got better and better and I realized that uh, when the dollar went so would all foreign banks and Costa Rica of course uses dollars as uh, as their reserve currency so we moved back to Texas and figured we will ride this thing out shoulder to shoulder with like-minded people so I got back from uh, Costa Rica in 2011. I wrote for a couple years with with uh, Miles Franklin, and for the last two years, uh, Jim Sinclair and I have, have partnered and uh, post at jsmindset.com. You know, thank you for sharing that. Now, Bill, to set the tone for today, can you please define for the audience the difference between currency and money? The, the difference between currency and money is, is really the, the biggest difference is that money is a store of value. Currency is a medium of exchange. Uh, over time, the medium of exchange gets diluted. In other words, governments will print more and more of that currency and dilute the value. It's important to understand that dollars... Uh, when the Federal Reserve began back in 1913, dollars and, and uh, $20 gold pieces were interchangeable. You could go into a bank with $20.67 and walk out with an ounce of gold or vice versa. And then they broke that link in uh, 1933. And since 1933, they've been printing more and more, more and more dollars, but it's important to understand that dollars if you don't if you the constitutional uh, definition of a dollar that's what a dollar truly is but when they bastardized it uh, dollars became derivatives of gold in other words they were receipts for gold and then they cut they cut that tie and now dollars are the antithesis of gold they're the opposite you know, thank you for sharing that. And just to clarify for first-time listeners, if you're not aware of a derivative, think of it in these terms, that orange juice is a derivative of an orange. 
All right. Now, well, Bill, when listeners go to a bank or take a financial course or watch a watch the financial portion of the news, the discussion of gold is never referred to as money or as a prudent investment. Why is the narrative on gold negative all the time? Well, it's portrayed as a commodity, and gold is not a commodity. Gold is money. Uh, you go back to J.P. Morgan in 1907 after that, that collapse. He testified to Congress that gold is money, everything else is credit. The reason uh, gold is, is not discussed, taught, uh, or understood, and it, it's not understood on purpose, in other words, uh, the monetary authorities don't want you to understand gold is because gold is the direct competitor to the U.S. dollar as the reserve currency of the world. You know, I, I'm a graduate of North Carolina State University, and I recall as a business major, we took I was taking my financial courses, and uh, never was money ever defined, and uh, we certainly never discussed the merits of owning gold or silver. Now, um, you know, recently I posted a video entitled, Shocking, I called the Fed and you won't believe what they said, in which I called the Federal Reserve and the Bureau of Engraving and Printing. And I asked, why is the word money not printed on a Federal Reserve note? And after four hours of correspondence, I couldn't get an answer. And to add further, you know, a Federal Reserve note's composition is 75% cotton and 25% linen. So it's not even printed on paper, as paper is derived from trees. Now, Bill, why do you believe the word money is omitted on our currency? Well, if you look at any fiat currency, if you look at euros, British pounds, uh, yen, yuan, whatever, you'll never see the word money. And that's because they're not money, they're currency. You may see the word currency, but you won't see the word money. And that's because there is a real distinction between currency and money. Yeah, I, I couldn't have said it any better. They're technically telling you the truth. By not putting the word money on it, they're technically telling you the truth. And it's also important to understand that dollars can only be created uh, via debt. Dollars, all fiat currencies, are a, a debt-based uh, in origin. In other words, in order to create money... Uh, for instance, you go out and you buy a car or buy a house or whatever, and you borrow money, that money is, is created out of thin air by the fractional reserve banking system. That's how, how dollars are created. That's how the currency base is expanded, is through the use of credit. And what we're going to see is a contraction of credit, uh, a contraction of the, the monetary bases, and and thus a, a collapse of the, the credit uh, the credit pyramid or, or edifice, whatever you want to call it. Well, in essence, what you're sharing with the audience here is that the only way under this current uh, system of Keynesian economics, the only way that, in essence, our economy grows is through debt. So thank you for conveying that. Right. And, it, and if you think about it, if that's the only way the economy can grow is through the use of more debt, that, that creation of, of new debt has got to continue, otherwise the economy goes in reverse. And that's exactly the way Ponzi schemes work. Ponzi schemes work as long as they've got new investors. Once they 
the new investors dry up and let's equate new debt with new investors, once the new investors dry up, the Ponzi scheme collapses, and that's where we're headed in the, the credit structure. Yeah, you, you hit the nail right on the head. And for first-time listeners, please refer to Article 1, Section 10 of the Constitution, why it would be unconstitutional to print the word money on our currency, and that a dollar is 371.25 grains of silver per the 1792 Coinage Act. Uh, so the word dollar should not even be printed on our currency because, again, when you hold a Federal Reserve note, that's not 371.25 grains of silver. Now, Bill, you know this, and I know this. Why is this not common knowledge, and why is it so critical for investors to be able to discern the difference? Well, it's not common knowledge because the the banking, the bankers, the banking system, uh, the government, they don't want people to know this because it, it behooves them uh, think about what the, the uh, what Mr. Rothschild said he doesn't care about anything else as long as he can create or, or control the creation of money as long as he can control the money supply he can tr- control everything and that's what it's all about it's about control and keeping the masses dumbed down is in effect their way of of keeping taking and then keeping control which is it's it's very pernicious it frustrates the dickens out of me as i know it you're very passionate about it it is it truly is and what we're sharing ladies and gentlemen is not conspiracy theory these again that's why we're providing you a preponderance of evidence with the constitution in the 1792 coinage act and we also you know i mentioned the video Please watch that video. I provide you the phone number to the Federal Reserve and the Bureau of Engraving and Printing. Uh, you can simply call them for yourself and ask the question, why is the word money not printed on a Federal Reserve note? Now, Bill, this ignorance is not germane to the United States. You recently resided in Costa Rica, and the citizens there call their currency money. Now, I find it ironic when I travel to Canada or Europe that all the citizens call their currency money Yet when they refer to another country's medium of exchange, they don't call it money. They state currency. So if every country calls their currency money, then why is it when you travel abroad, the first thing you want to know is the currency conversion, not the money conversion? Well, because, again, it's, it's, they are all, including the dollar, they all are all currencies. They're not money. That's, and it's so critical for investors to understand that. I think anyone that's traveled now across, you know, anywhere uh, abroad, they can think back of when they traveled, the counter that they went to to exchange their currency, it, it was called the currency exchange. It was not right, called exactly. the money exchange. Words are very, very important. Now, I believe that if investors wish to become financial stewards, they must be able to define money versus currency. Now, Bill, you've achieved financial success that many aspire to accomplish, and you have private relationships with some of the world's financial elite. Share with us why this distinction is so deeply embedded within the financial elite. Well, the financial elite understand the difference between money and currency. They understand that currency over time 
uh, B bases. I think the average uh, lifespan for uh, for currency is something between 15 and 30 years. Currencies are used until they're abused, and once they're abused too much, they go into hyperinflation. Then the currency goes away and they're replaced with another currency. Now, the currency that is in circulation today in the United States, is this our first currency? Uh, no, it's actually the third or fourth currency. I mean, you could go back to prior to uh, prior to 1887, and they had the, the greenbacks. Yes, if, if investors are not aware, we, as the United States, started off with the continental, and that went to a value of zero, and then we went to the greenback, and that went to a value of zero. Um, right, that's right. Now, if you were a holder of precious metals during these periods, when the currencies went to zero, what happened to your standard of living? Well, your ounce of gold or your ounce of st silver was still an ounce of gold. It was still an ounce of silver. You retained your purchasing power. And those around you, uh, if they had their money in the bank or, or, or even dug a hole and, and uh, put the currency in the ground, assuming that it, it didn't rot, uh, their purchasing power went to zero. So you were able to when the system rebooted, and that's what happens after a currency goes to zero, is the system reboots, you're starting with a pile of purchasing power, and everyone else is starting with nothing. So it, it gives you a head start on the next credit expansion. And that's what all these, every single one of these uh, growth periods have basically been, been credit expansions. Yes, they have. And, and, you know, the study of money, which is monetary history, it shows that during situations such as these, when the currency either revalues or goes to a value of zero, those that are stewards of precious metals, they're able to make generational life changes because their money allows them to make some large acquisitions that they were not able to do with the currency. Um, yeah, Maurice, let me put this so that your, your listeners understand it in, in plain English. What, what you're trying to say here is you're sitting on gold and silver where your wealth is stored. The currency blows up, it goes to zero, and you've lived within your means your whole life, and you live in a, a small three-bedroom, maybe one-and-a-half or one-bedroom uh, or one-bathroom house, and the guy at the other side of town had all his money in the bank, he lives in a mansion. It's an eight or ten bedroom place with seven or eight bathrooms and a ten car garage. You'll be able to buy that with gold, with a much lesser amount of gold than it would have cost when the currency was still functioning. So you'll be able to uh, increase your lifestyle with, with less uh, less ounces of silver or less ounces of gold and that person who owned the mansion will be happy to do it because now he has money again yeah thank you for clarifying that uh, bill let me ask you this do holders of precious metals need to hope and pray for the currency to fall to zero before they will ever benefit no not at all i mean if you were uh the, the currency to this day has not fallen to zero but uh, had you 
been buying gold at uh, under $100 an ounce back in 1975, 76, the dollar continued to depreciate. And the reverse of that is it, it cost it costs more dollars now to purchase an ounce of gold because those dollars are worth far less than they were back in the 70s. But the dollar still, I mean, it hasn't gone to zero. It, it's on its way to zero, but it's not gone to zero yet. So you've been protected. You've gone from $100 or less to $1,200 per ounce. You know, you mentioned earlier derivatives. I also like to refer to um, a statement I've heard Mr. Uh, Jim Rickards shares that gold is the constant. It is on the periodic table of elements. It doesn't change. The variable is the currency. And so right. gold and silver, in essence, they don't go up. It's the currency that is either uh, increasing in value pre briefly or decreasing in value. That's exactly right. And, and that's what I was, was getting at uh, just a moment before, is that the value, the, the purchasing power of the dollar as it has slipped has, it, it, it takes more dollars to purchase the same ounce of gold. And that ounce of gold today is the same ounce of gold it was 50 years, 100 years, 1,000 years ago. You know, Bill... Gold hasn't changed, silver hasn't changed. It's the currencies that change. Absolutely, and that is so critical, and, and as we mentioned this before, you have private relationships with the financial elite, and they, they understand this. This is what they teach to their children. It's just this information does not get conveyed either in the world of academia or um, through our parents because they weren't in that position. So thank you again for conveying that. Now, Bill, let me ask you this. In your experience, what type of investor have you found invest in physical precious metals? Uh, well, one type is is the skeptic, and when I say the skeptic, they're skeptical that uh, government policy is going to do what it says it's going to do, and and the skeptic has done well. Uh, of course, the other type is is the people who truly understand the difference between money and currency. Currency is a hot potato. You don't want to hold on to currency much longer than, than you can before you spend it on something real. Cur the only thing currency is good for is to use to purchase something real. Now, uh, let me ask this as well, Bill. You know, for a first-time listener that is about to make their first purchase, do you have a preference of gold, silver, platinum, or palladium? Uh, it, well, first off, silver is the cheapest. You can get the most ounces for your money. And silver is the most undervalued. Uh, it's undervalued not only to dollars, but it's, it's undervalued versus, for instance, with gold. Uh, the ratio right now is about 70 to 1. It takes 70 ounces of silver to buy one ounce of gold. But yet it comes out of the ground at nine and a half or ten to one. That's God's ratio. That's the ratio that silver should be to gold. So when the currencies uh, do make their move and approach zero, silver is going to outperform gold. Uh, I would say at least four or five to one, and more than likely seven to one to get back to the ten to one true ratio that it 
that is supplied from the ground. Now, where does platinum and palladium uh, fit in this category for you? Uh, in my mind, they're industrial metals. Yes, they're precious metals, but even as a, a, a precious metals broker, um, if somebody came to me and said, here, I've got some platinum or palladium, um, I don't personally have the ability to test it to know that it is either platinum or palladium. And they look so, uh, similar. They're all they're white metal. Uh, so I personally would not accept platinum or, or palladium. I stick to silver or gold. You can tell the difference. Um, and it, it, I, in the silver area, just so your, your listeners have an idea, I would look toward junk silver, which is pre-1965 uh, dimes and quarters. They were 90% silver. Uh, we've never heard of an instance of those being counterfeited, and they're broken down. In other words, they're dimes and quarters, so you're talking about small percentages of an ounce of silver, and those can be used for trade, for barter. I mean, you could go with a dime and in a, in a financial breakdown, with a dime, you could probably get a gallon of gas or a dozen eggs. Couldn't have said it better. I believe that the junk silver that you're referring to, again, is the most divisible and probably the most prudent for day-to-day -day transactions as, you know, the, the average citizen cannot discern the difference between a junk uh, silver coin and the clad coins that are produced today. So in a situation where... But you can with the date. If you look at the date on them, and nobody's counterfeiting uh, 1963 dimes or 1963 quarters. And if they are, uh, there's no wear to them. In other words, they don't look like they've been used for years and years and years. They're not smoothed out, dirtied up. So you would be able to tell that, hey, it's a counterfeit. Absolutely. In that case, somewhat more to my point was that the average citizen, if they're a thief, they're not going to go for a quarter or a dime if they're going to right. rob from you. If you're going to steal, steal big. You're going to steal big. So you don't want to walk around uh, with 100-ounce bars, and, and I personally own them, but you you know there's a time and place for each type, and I think for a beginning investor, junk silver is a great way to start. Um, let me ask you this as well. Is it okay to store my precious metals in my bank's safety deposit box? Absolutely not, because the banks will close and when the banks close, you won't have access to your box. When they reopened in uh, 1933 or 1934, uh, they were all empty. They were emptied out. So if you had if you had gold coins sitting in your safe deposit box, they were gone. And that's what will happen again this time. So do not store anything that you want, anything that you think is important in your safe deposit box because they'll be empty when when you finally get to see the contents. And, and allow me to digress here slightly. For listeners, if you're not aware, your safety deposit boxes at your local bank are not FDIC insured. So hypothetically speaking, should your bank close, your bank is leasing that uh, building. So the landlord can come in there basically with a locksmith and say, open this all up. <laughs> so do keep that in mind. Um, Bill, let me ask you this then. Where should I store my metals? Uh, 
not a bad idea to have some within your own reach, whether it's buried or hidden or whatever, uh, and the rest, then look for uh, non-bank vaults. And the reason you want non-banks is because you want vaults that have no connection to any banking commissioner that can shut them down or tell them you've got to open the boxes. Uh, I broker business through Miles Franklin. They have uh, agreements with Brinks both in Montreal and Vancouver. They also have a storage agreement with Dakota Depository in North Dakota. So if, if you've got metal that you, that you do want to store, those are you know, those are, are, in my opinion, good places. I personally store uh, some some silver that I use basically as a bank account at the in, in one of those depositories. Um, if I need capital, I call them, tell them sell it, and they they wire me a, a check the next day. If the banking system comes down, the metal's just going to sit there, and whenever the system's rebooted, then you have your metal to restart your financial life with. Oh, great response. Thank you again so much for that. Bill, last question. What did I forget to ask? Oh, <laughs> Maurice, we could go on for hours and hours and hours. Uh, maybe one of your next topics should be, uh, because I think this is what it's all about, is that once credit dries up, the system stops. And when 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 the the economic system stops, you're no longer even at the banks. Let's say that the banks were open and you could go get money. Supposedly your money, uh, everything runs on credit, which means your local grocery store, Walmart, etc., are not going to be stocked up because they don't have little elves in the back room that bake loaves of bread and stuff like that. They require. Uh, farming they require processing they require transportation for example trucking and all of that will stop because it's all done on credit so when credit stops the music's going to stop and when the music stops you're going to have what you have and that's what you're going to have to live on for a time until the credit system comes back up it may be two weeks it may be two months it could be two years. I mean, it's hard to say, but everything revolves around credit. Thank you again for sharing that. And Bill, please share your contact information for listeners that want to hear more of your commentary. Uh, our website is uh, jsmindset.com. That's M-I-N-E-S-E-T.com. It's a, it's a two-tiered website we have a free side that that jim had run for uh oh i don't know 10 or 12 years before we partnered that has remained the same my most of my work probably 80 or 90 percent of my work my writings uh go on a subscription side and uh jim and i do a weekly uh one-on-one -on -one either interview question and answer from subscribers or uh, maybe once a month we, we get somebody in that, that we interview. 
just listening to the interview to hear Jim Sinclair, in my opinion, is worth the price of subscription. It's modest. It's $119 for the year, uh, and you will get you will get information that you're not getting elsewhere. Thank you again for conveying that. And last but not least, please visit our website, www.provenandprobable.com. Through Miles Franklin Precious Metals Investments, we offer gold, silver, platinum, and palladium, offshore storage, and safe deposit boxes, which are fully insured and secured by Brinks and self-directed IRAs. The website again is www.provenandprobable.com. Bill Holter of JSMindset.com. Thank you for joining us today on Proven and Probable. Thank you for joining us today on Proven and Probable. Remember to like and subscribe for more conversations with the most respected names in the natural resource space. Check out our website at www.provenandprobable.com. The information presented on Proven and Probable is provided for educational and informational purposes only, without any express or implied warranty of any kind, including warranties of accuracy, completeness, or fitness for any particular purpose. The information is not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice, or any other advice. You should not make any financial, investment, or trading decision based on any of the information presented without first undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional broker or competent financial advisor.